Hi, this is Alan Thick. You should be checking out showbizmonkeys.com. I'm not sure why, but it's my job to tell you. Around this town, I'm alright. Around this town, I'm alright. I mean, no consequence when you're playing with the fire. While a lot of people of my generation know you as Dr. Jason Seaver on Growing Pains, and those a little younger may know you as Robin Thicke's dad, you have a long history in television and music dating back to the early 70s. Can you talk a little bit about your early years? What first made a kid from small town Ontario interested in show business? I, uh, I think it's because I failed at a couple other things. I would have been uh, happy to be a, a sports writer and cover the Hamilton Tiger Cats for the Hamilton Spectator. Okay. And... Uh, 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 not so much that I failed, but uh, they didn't have a, uh, a course in, uh, in in journalism at the time at uh, University of Western Ontario. Mm-hmm. So although I did uh, play football there and then uh, later uh, wrote for the, the, the paper, it wasn't really any formal training uh, in that field. And then uh, I also tried theology. I was in a denominational college uh, at Western the first year and, and uh, then went from there to pre-med, which uh, I've always felt was God's way of punishing me for considering the clergy, because <laughs> uh, I, I didn't have the stomach for pre-med. So I had tried all of that early on, and then uh, finally ended up performing in, in, in a bunch of uh, university plays and uh, emceeing, mostly emceeing their variety shows, and singing in a band. and. Um, so that uh, set me up for a shot at the CBC, and I, I did that for a couple of years after college, and then uh, tried it in uh, L.A., and my first uh, career in Los Angeles was writing for other people. I wrote uh, a lot of the uh, variety shows uh, uh, in the 70s and 80s. I wrote for Flip Wilson and Bill Cosby, Richard Pryor, uh, wrote some shows for Norman Lear. Oh, wow. And... Uh, and that's really what was my craft and, and my career in those early days. And then um, uh, I, I ended up hosting a, the Alan Thick Show in Canada, and that led to a turkey of a show called Thick of the Night in the States, but that led to growing pains, and that's probably where you pick up the story. Right. Well, I actually did want to touch on uh, Thick of the Night a little bit, because uh, I'm a little too young to have watched it when it aired, but thanks to YouTube, I've been able to watch some clips and... You mentioned you called it a turkey of a show. I know it didn't get treated well by critics, but one thing I can tell is you seem to have a lot of fun making it. Uh, it, it was fun, and um, uh, to be uh, accurate about it, the numbers, uh, if I had those kind of ratings on a late-night show today, uh, they would name a province after me. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, uh, you know, we did ratings that are, um, higher than what a lot of the the only ones higher nowadays would be Leno and um, uh, and Letterman. Um, the numbers we did back then were, were bigger than what Kimmel gets and what Fallon gets and what Conan gets and what Ferguson gets. But uh, back then it was just the two man universe. It was Johnny Carson was the king of the hill. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, I was, you know, I, I was the guy that uh, they chose to go up against them, and uh, people said it couldn't be done. I was the guy they chose to prove it, I guess. <laughs> and um, uh, so I got my ass kicked. But I, again, those numbers in today's marketplace would have been considered heroic. 
right after that, I mean, actors talk about a successful sitcom run kind of being like the show business holy grail. Did you realize as it was happening how successful and long-lasting Growing Pains would be? Uh, yeah, we were we were a hit uh, pretty early on, and uh, spent much of the, our our tenure in the top ten, sometimes top five, even a couple of weeks at number one. And um, uh, one of the advantages of being on a show that was on in the uh, '80s and '90s is that um, the, uh, the the television universe again was was smaller then. Mm-hmm. And uh, the advantage was when you have a hit show, um, uh, you really get some large numbers of people following you, and then theoretically they stay with you as part of your fan base for years afterwards. Yeah. Uh, we were nowadays a show like American Idol is considered a hit with 15 million viewers. We used to have 25 million, <laughs> and uh, so uh, if those people stay with you for a couple more shows or or other uh, activities, including, you know, when you go out and do stand-up or host uh, events and make speeches, uh, you've got a larger fan base to deal with if you built that in the 80s. And in recent years, you've kind of been able to play a little bit with that that image, uh, most notably for me anyway, appearing as a recurring version of yourself on How I Met Your Mother, and you've also done some web videos. Is it fun to be able to be a little over-the-top and silly at this point in your career? Uh, it is. I'm doing a pilot uh, uh, next week, in fact, uh, for Showtime down here that uh, is way over the top. The uh, opening scene, uh, this is not a Jason Seaver scene, uh, <laughs> I, I, start, I start the show getting um, a blowjob from Missy Pyle, who was uh, the blonde actress at the beginning of The Artist, if you saw that movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, the first uh, shot is a close-up on my face being... Uh, romantically pleasured by this person hiding under my desk, Monica Lewinsky style. So uh, anybody anybody expecting to see Dr. Seaver in, in that show uh, better have a drink first. <laughs> yeah, well, show, Showtime has uh, been kind of an interesting place for a lot of actors to be able to go and kind of do things a little more risque. Yeah, yeah. Now, you spent most of your career in the U.S., but you keep coming back to Canada. Is it important for you to keep involved with Canadian projects? Uh, it is. I'm, I'm a citizen. I have family in Canada. I'll always be a Canadian. Uh, my heart uh, and some of my tax money remains there. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I, I, I'll come home, you know, anytime they'll have me. Hosting your own shows and specials in the past, as well as having the, the songwriting history that you do, kind of makes you the perfect person to host a spoof of a TV variety show for the Winnipeg Comedy Festival? Uh, I hope so. I've hosted a number of uh, comedy uh, festivals uh, before, including I did Just for Laughs. I did the uh, Showtime Comedy All-Stars a few years back. Um, uh, So uh, that's fun for me. And uh, what it does is, it well, it's like, as you said, hosting a variety show years ago. It allows me to get a few laughs and get off a few lines and then uh, leave the heavy lifting to some other talented people and it helps me see what young talent is out there so uh, yeah it really is a a pleasurable experience and I look forward to it. Um, Are there any of the Winnipeg Comedy Fest performers uh, in particular you're looking forward to seeing or are you not yet familiar with who's uh, on the bill? Uh, there's a couple, a couple that I'm not familiar with, and a couple others uh, names they ran by me that uh, I did know, and uh, that sounded like fun to see them again. 
so what what can people expect from you uh, if they get tickets to the show and head down to the Pantages Theater? Well, frankly, I think the uh, producers have come up with a really uh, funny idea, theme for the whole show, which is uh, a spoof on all uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter, etc., and uh, uh, and telethons uh, uh, together. I mean, telethons have kind of fallen out of disfavor. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't seen uh, as many in recent years as we used to. So the idea of reviving the telethon format uh, and and the the purpose, the campaign, the crusade of the telethon being to uh, add uh, Twitter followers to my account seems like <laughs> a, a kind of a funny satirical idea. Yeah, I noticed uh, when I uh, we we posted at the Comedy Fest launch about how uh, how you and a few others were were coming to the city for the festival. Uh, you retweeted our post, but then I I looked and you didn't have that many Twitter followers yet compared to some others. So we got to get those numbers up. That's true. I'm 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 new at it. I told the producers that I said I'm fairly new at this uh, Twitter business. I have uh, like around three or four thousand, and I said uh, it might be funny to uh, make that the big uh, uh, purpose of of the telethon for me. You know, in the same way, I mean, some people will be looking to uh, uh, get rid of Coney the Barbarian, and then uh, others will. Uh, my, my big issue will be to get more Twitter followers. All, all tongue-in-cheek, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the last question I wanted to ask you is just for people listening who aren't going to be in Winnipeg in April, um, what other projects do you have on the go right now? You mentioned the Showtime series. Is there anything else uh, people should check out? Uh, I just did a pilot for Global um, and uh, uh, for a, a kind of an amusing game show up there, and uh, I guess we'll know by... We'll know by April whether that got picked up, and um, I'm writing a humor column for the Huffington Post called The Boomer Monologues, and that's been uh, interesting and uh, fun to do, and that's uh, spawned uh, a radio show and, um, and, and a book that I'm going to do, and uh, I'll be doing some work with... Uh, Moses Neimer's uh, new um, uh, television entity called Zoomer, which is a spin-off from his Zoomer magazine, and uh, that'll happen uh, probably this summer. Showbizmonkeys.com